things are going to look a little different up here this morning because things are a little bit different. Um, we're going to do something a little bit unique in the month of January. Um, we're going to talk about who we are as a church, who we are as a church. Um, I'm titling this series, Welcome Home. Many of you have been a part of this church family from the first day we moved here to Knoxville. And I'm, I'm going to do maybe a three to five minute story on just how we arrived to this moment right here. So I'll try to recap two years in like three to five minutes, okay? So I'm gonna do that this morning. Um, the other thing I'm gonna do this morning is talk about what we believe. What are the core essentials of our faith? We're gonna look at, at five essential doctrines. We're gonna look at the sacraments, what we believe about communion and baptism. And we're gonna talk about um, what we think about this book right here, the Word of God, okay? So that's what we're talking about this morning. Next week, we're going to talk about who we are. And what I mean by that is, what's our structure? What's our leadership structure? What do we emphasize? Um, what do we do as a church? You know, there are certain things that we prioritize. And so who are we as a church body and what is our structure? That's next Sunday. Then the third week of the series, we're going to do something that we do every year about mid to late January. And that is, really simply put, we call it the state of the church address. We look back at the previous year and tell stories and remember what God has done in our midst. And then we look ahead to the new year and talk about what's ahead of us going into this new year, things we're believing for going into this new year. And then finally, on the last Sunday in January, we're going to talk very specifically about what it means to be a part of a church body, what it means to be a member. And there will be an opportunity if you would like to become a member of this church. I mean, a lot of us are kind of already members and a part of the body, but we've not had any kind of official membership in our new church. And so if you'd like to do that, you can do that. Um, and we'll talk about what that means and the implications of that when we get there. I would strongly recommend, you know, I know that there are times just during the course of the year where we miss certain Sundays here and there. And I would just say, if, if you're feeling like this is your church home or it might be your church home, it's essential that you hear all four of these messages. So if you cannot be here any of the next Sundays, please take the time to go listen. You can subscribe to our podcast. You can listen on our website to our sermon. So if you miss a Sunday, please listen. It's important kind of foundational stuff. Um, as always, we're going to post my teaching notes online. I'd encourage you to look at those. I'm including way more scripture over the next few weeks than I will actually be able to read and teach on during our services. It is going to be in the notes for you to look at. And so if there are things that we're saying that we believe, we want you to know why we believe them. And we want you to be able to find those things. So the, the notes will be online. Um, the podcasts or the, the teachings will be online. And so check those out if you, if you miss. Is that pretty clear? That helps set the tone of where we're heading? So I'm gonna, this is going to be a little more informal. It's, it's not going to be necessarily a message that I'm preaching. I'm gonna, it's kind of a family meeting the next few weeks. So I'll be sitting and going through some notes. Um, but I want to start by just telling, telling a brief story. So... Um, Man, how do you tell I don't know. two years we've been here and five years of dreaming before that in three to five minutes? But um, I would love, if I have not already done it, I would love to sit down face to face with you and have an, a, a longer, deeper conversation about who we are and how we got here. Um, but really briefly, our, our background, our history is that we are a church plant from Grace Chapel 
located technically in Leapers Fork, Tennessee. You've probably not heard of that. Um, it's, it's a little community in Franklin, Tennessee, which you still may not have heard of, um, but that is south of Nashville. It's a suburb of Nashville. And so that was our church home for years. Um, I started attending there in 1999 as just a single kid, college age kid. Uh, got involved at the church, volunteered, served, eventually came on staff as a pastor and was the youth pastor for about 15 years there. Um, the last three years that I was in Franklin at Grace Chapel, I was the associate pastor there, um, was kind of the, the bullpen backup preacher for our pastor, Steve Berger. Um, he's one of the most influential people in my life. He's one of my mentors, um, poured into me over all the years that we were there. And they helped send us, they are still helping us, send us here to Knoxville to plant this church. So my wife and I, and Crystal and Alex, who are leading this morning, and Rob and Sarah, can y'all wave? You should meet Rob and Sarah. Our three families went on a crazy adventure, and two years ago, in January of 2016, we started moving out here, and we all were here by mid-February, late February. Um, sold homes at Christmas time, actually sold them like that. It was amazing, it was a miracle. Found new homes here in Knoxville, settled in, and we've been here for a couple years now. Um, in March of 2016, we had our first service, and what that amounted to was hanging out in my living room with uh, maybe 15 or 20 people. We didn't know a lot of people in Knoxville when we came. Um, the kids were up in our bonus room, and my wife and our dear friend Jesse, pretty, pretty early on, you were helping in the kids, like maybe even week one, Jesse, I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, but, but Jesse and my wife, Amy, and Sarah helped a ton, and it was just, it was just a, a blast having just a few families in our house on this new adventure. And so for about three months, we met in our living room and we taught about just who we are and what we believed and the vision we believe God had given us for coming here to Knoxville. In June of 2016, we started meeting in this school and we're still here today. And so we're just a young, growing church. So we're about, about coming up on our two-year anniversary. The first Sunday in March will be our two-year anniversary. So that's a brief little description. Um, our church home back in Franklin has uh, committed to helping support us and get us started. And so um, they've provided some financial support to help us get off the ground. And we have grown, as we've grown in numbers, we've grown in giving. And so more and more, we're moving towards being our own self-sustaining church body. Um, next week, I'll talk more about our structure, but we, we are not a denomination. We aren't dictated to by Grace Chapel and Franklin of what we do. We have our own elder board. Um, we, we are a, a self-run church led by our elders is how I would describe it. And I can talk to you more about that. Um, and we'll talk a lot more about that next Sunday. So there's a little bit of a snippet of just kind of how we ended up in this room right here this morning. Okay, so let's, let's jump into um, what we believe as a church. So first of all, here's our starting point. There's a lot of scripture that emphasizes this point, but we're gonna pick one from Ephesians chapter two, verse 19, uh, that talks about why it's important for us to understand that we're connected to each other. And so Paul writes to the Ephesian church in Ephesians two nineteen, and he says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We believe that the church is a family. 
We are a part of God's family. And as such, we are meant to be in relationship with one another. And so whether you like it or not, you're not only stuck with all of these people, you're stuck with a whole bunch of other Christians in Knoxville and in the United States of America and in other countries you've never even been to um, and people that have been in heaven for, you know, a couple thousand years already. You're connected. You're a part of a family. But we were meant to be participating members within a family. The church is meant to function that way. And so God designed us to be members of a church family. And, uh, and if we're disconnected, we're in trouble. We're made for relationship. And I know we've got a lot of different backgrounds. We've got people that have grown up in different denominations, folks um, who maybe didn't even know the Lord at, at all and came to Jesus in their adult life. Um, many of us have experienced hurtful church um, situations in our past. And a lot of people have, have become um, alienated from, from church because of past hurts and wounds. And so I, I don't know what all backgrounds each of you are coming in from, but I just want you to know that God designed you to be in a church family. There's no perfect church. There's no perfect family. There's some defining characteristics that should be a part of every church. And that's what we're about to talk about, the essential kind of core doctrines of the faith. Um, but, but we're made for each other. And the fact that church family is not perfect is actually part of how we grow because we're not perfect. And so we need to be a part of something where imperfect people love each other, forgive each other, learn from each other. Um, we need to walk in grace and understanding. We also at times need to be challenged and encouraged. And so those are things that come from a family and a family can handle that kind of stuff because you're committed for the long haul. Acquaintances can come and go when things get hard. But family says, hey, we love each other, we're committed to each other, we'll make it through tough times. And so we're meant to be a part of a church family. So our goal for this series is that, number one, you would commit yourself to Jesus Christ, that he would be your savior, that he'd be the king of your life, he'd be your Lord. And secondly, that you would know and believe fully in your heart that you need to belong to a church family. There will be an opportunity if you wanna to belong to this this church body, there'll be an opportunity to do that. But, but more than that, that you will plug in somewhere. You know, I don't believe we've cornered the market on what church is. I wanna be a part of the greater church body here in Knoxville. I wanna walk in unity with other churches here in Knoxville. And there are a lot of things that are more about um, stylistic differences and tradition differences. If the foundation is right, be plugged in where God's called you, okay? but there will be an opportunity for you to plug in here if you would like to do that. So that's our starting point and our goal for this series. Um, the, the other thing I would encourage you on as we go, some of these things I will hit quickly, but there's, there's more to it than what I'm gonna be able to give time to. And so we're gonna do two things. Number one, um, after each service, I will officially you know, wrap it up and pray and dismiss but I'm gonna create an opportunity for question and answer. And so after I dismiss, if you wanna stick around and have some questions, be making physical notes or mental notes as I'm teaching and bring those up, bring those up. And so I'm gonna invite people at the end if they wanna do a little Q&A to come up kind of a little closer and maybe people that just wanna visit and, and take off to slide towards the back. If you don't have time to ask questions after service, 
um, I want to make sure you've got my email, my phone number, and that you can ask me those questions outside of Sunday morning if you need to. Um, don't be embarrassed. Um, don't feel like there's a, there's a dumb question. Uh, I used to make the joke for years in youth ministry, there's no dumb questions, there's just dumb people. Um, <laughs> it's a joke, I'm kidding, right? There's no dumb questions, like ask anything. Um, and so I may not have all the answers. We might find out who the dumb person really is. Um, uh, but I want y'all to feel like you can ask questions if we cover something too quickly or not at all. All right, we got it? Yep. We good? All right, y'all ready? Okay, here we go. So, our core beliefs. Um, first of all, I just wanna make this really clear. Um, this is kind of taken from a quote that gets attributed to St. Augustine, um, but this is, this is how we view our beliefs. So first of all, in essential beliefs, we believe it's important to have unity. In essential beliefs, the core doctrines of our faith. If there are core doctrinal things that we disagree on, then we're at odds with one another. I believe there are certain things that are very clear from scripture and from looking at historical Christianity, that this is who God is and who we are and who Jesus is, and they're essential and foundational. And we need to have unity or we're not, we're not serving the same God. I believe that's important. I also believe beyond a few core things that there are a lot of things within our faith that are, that are important, but they're non-essential to our ultimate salvation and faith. And that in those instances, in the non-essentials, there's liberty. There's liberty. There's, there's freedom. And so in essentials, there's unity. In non-essentials, there's liberty. And in all of our beliefs, there needs to be love. There are going to be people that I disagree with, and I need to walk in love towards them. And sometimes that love is being willing to have the hard conversation and share a hard truth with them, but because I care about them. Not because I'm just taking my strong, self-righteous stance against them. I want to win people to the truth of Jesus Christ through the love of God. The scripture says that God draws us with cords of loving kindness. That's God's heart. All right, so that's how we approach this. So five essential doctrines. I want to open this by just reading a verse to you that kind of captures the importance of holding on to the true gospel. This is found in Paul's letter to the Galatians church. This is Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 10. Paul writes and he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. This was a problem with the first generation church and it continues to be a problem in our day and age. We turn to different gospels. We settle for variations that are not the true gospel of Jesus Christ. This is happening in our country today and it's dangerous and it's harmful. Verse seven, so he says, listen, you've turned this different gospel and then he says, but not that there is another one. There is no other gospel. But there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we, listen to what Paul's saying, if Paul got up and preached a different gospel, run. If I get up here and preach a different gospel, you need to leave and go to another church. Or an angel from heaven, maybe one named Moroni that comes to a guy named Joseph Smith. I'm serious. That's right. 
This, we were warned about this sort of thing. If you didn't get that reference, I'm, I'm not teaching on Mormonism this morning, but I would be happy to talk with you more about it. Um, so if we, so there are going to be people who present themselves as pastors and preachers and teachers who will teach gospels that are false. If an angel comes, right? Just because we have a heavenly vision, I believe in heavenly visions, I believe in angels, but just because we get one, if it contradicts the word of God, that might not have been an angel. That might have been a different spiritual being, okay? So if, if we or an angel preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that has already been preached to you, let him be accursed. This is strong language. It's important to, to have the foundations sure. Verse nine, as we have said before, so he has emphasized this, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? I'll tell you what, if you could summarize one problem in our culture right now, it's that sentence. Am I trying to please man or am I trying to please God? Where me and this have a disagreement, guess what needs to change? It's as simple as that. If you want to know what I believe and what this church believes, I'm going to say, I'm going to ask you, what does this say about it? And that's how you're going to know. I believe this. I believe in every generation and in every human heart, there are aspects of the word of God that we immediately love and receive with joy. And it's wonderful. I also believe every person in every culture has things that God's word says that contradict us. And those things hurt and we don't like it. And it's easy to try to change this instead of reference the almighty God and determine maybe he wants to change me. Maybe he wants to change my thinking. Maybe I'm off in some way. That's what Paul's saying. Am I trying to please man, get the approval of man, or am I trying to please God? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. I, I realize this may sound weighty. We're sharing good news, okay? The gospel is good news. It provides life and salvation for anyone who will receive it. It's available to all. God is loving and good and merciful. He's righteous and he's holy and he's inviting men and women into an eternal life-giving relationship with him. He has the answer to life's problems. This is good news. But if we change the good news, it stops being good news. We're selling something false or phony that has no real power and life in it. And so it's important that, that we're honest about the truth. Is this making sense? Y'all with me? Okay. So here we go. Number one, the doctrine of the Trinity. I believe that God is something that I can't define or explain. Right off the bat, I'm just trusting him to be bigger and larger and beyond my comprehension by believing that he is three in one. I've heard analogies. I've tried to use some of those analogies that describe it. The bottom line is I don't understand fully the mystery of the Trinity, but I believe that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are three in one, that there is a unity there. I don't know if they are three individuals that are so closely tied together that they're like one, or if they're one individual with three aspects of personality, I don't think either of those explanations really captures it. 
God is three in one. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are eternal. They coexist with one another. They are all God. They're all God. God the Father is the creator and ruler of the universe. And, uh, or sorry, God is the creator and ruler of the universe, and he exists eternally in three distinct personalities, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are co-equal and they are one God. And there's scriptures in here that you could check out later of why we believe that to be true. Um, you will hear people say the word Trinity is not in the Bible. That's true. It's a word it's a word that defines something that you see throughout Scripture. We see the unity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit throughout Scripture. Speaking specifically about Jesus for a moment, there's some things that we believe about Jesus. Um, we believe that Jesus is co-equal with the Father. We believe that he was fully God and fully man. We believe that he came to this earth, lived a sinless human life, died on the cross for our sins, rose again on the third day from the grave, bodily, physically, and lives now eternally in heaven, and that he's our Savior and our Lord. Um, we believe that the Holy Spirit is co-equal with the Father and the Son, and that he lives and exists to empower believers. The scripture gives us all kinds of explanation of his role in our lives. He's our helper, he's our teacher. He gives us power and strength and encouragement. He produces fruit in our lives love, joy, peace, patience. He, he changes us. He transforms us as we walk in a relationship with God. And he gives gifts that minister and encourage the body. And having a full picture and understanding of who he is is essential. Um, now, we will at some point do more in-depth teaching on the Holy Spirit. We have already done that um, in the past. And if you're curious about that, I can get you those, those sermons. Um, but we believe the Holy Spirit is part of the triune God. Okay, so that's number one, the doctrine of the Trinity. We good? Yep. Got it? Okay, number two. Some of this is interconnected to things I just shared, but number two, we believe specifically in the doctrine of the deity of Christ, which just means Jesus is God. He's God. He wasn't partially God or half God. He's fully God. Um, in John chapter one, we see him defined as God in human flesh. In Colossians chapter one, verses 15 and 16, we see Jesus described as the creator, participating in creation all the way back at the beginning in Genesis. Um, in John chapter eight, Jesus uses the same name for himself that the father uses as the eternal God in Exodus when he says to Moses, I am. I am who I am. When he was in the kind of appeared as the burning bush and Jesus takes on that same terminology. Um, there have been arguments made for some reason that Jesus never claimed to be God and that just could not be further from the truth. If you read the Gospels, he was claiming it all the time. And if you're ever unsure, because some of the ways he claimed his deity was using um, things that might be unfamiliar to us, but Old Testament pictures to communicate that he was God. And the way we can tell that he was claiming to be God is that the Pharisees tried to kill him for blasphemy. It's very clear that he was claiming to be God. All right, so that's, that's Jesus. Number three, a third thing that we believe is a core to our faith is the doctrine of the vicarious atonement. Can you guys say vicarious atonement? Vicarious atonement. Anybody want to get up and explain what that means to us real quick? All right, it's just a couple fancy words. Let me break them down really simply for you. Vicarious simply means in the place of, in the place of. And atonement is the reconciliation of the guilty by a God-ordained sacrifice. 
So Jesus died in our place. That's what this means. Jesus did what I could not do for myself. He came in my place, walked the earth, the only perfect human, and he died on the cross to pay for my sins. And I now can be reconciled to God because of the finished work of Jesus. That's the vicarious atonement. Um, 2 Corinthians 5.21 talks about this. 1 Peter 2.24 talks about this. And beautifully enough, in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before Jesus showed up physically on the scene, Isaiah writes about this in Isaiah 53. And you would think, if you were to read Isaiah 53, that Isaiah was an eyewitness to the crucifixion. And it was written hundreds of years before Christ. Um, This was God's plan to send Jesus to be our ultimate sacrifice, to reconcile us and redeem us back to him. So we believe in that. Number four, I mentioned this briefly already, but the doctrine of the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. We believe Jesus physically rose from the grave. He wasn't passed out on the cross. Um, he, he didn't, it wasn't that he sort of just was really sick and they thought he died. We believe he died on the cross and we believe he physically rose from the grave three days later. Um, He told us he was going to do that before it happened. He then appeared to people in bodily form after it happened, appearing to at least 40 people, maybe even like 120 people. There's a lot of people that saw him. Much of it is recorded at the end of the Gospels and early in in the book of Acts, where he appeared to people. and, And he did physical human things. He ate food. People touched him, touched his physical body. They felt that he was a a breathing, living person. Um, They even were able to feel the nail scars in his hands and and the wound in his side where he'd been stabbed by the the spear. Um, And so Jesus rose again. And listen, one of the biggest evidence to me um, for the physical resurrection of Jesus Christ is just looking at what the disciples were doing right before and during the death of Christ and what they did after his resurrection. These are changed people that experienced something that radically defined their lives. They were scared, running, hiding, denying, betraying him, leading up to his death. After his death and resurrection, where they see him, they then are doing things like boldly preaching to the same people that had just killed Jesus, and they were killed for their faith. They had a radical change of heart and perspective. It is because they saw something that changed their lives forever. They saw the living Savior risen again. All right, so we believe that. And then finally, number five, a core doctrine is we believe in the doctrine of salvation by grace through faith. By grace through faith. Um, There's a lot of verses on this, but I want to give you a couple you could check out. Romans chapter 3. You can read verses 23 through 28 talk about this. Um, By God's gracious kindness, he declares us not guilty. It's through Christ's sacrifice. It's not our own deeds, but it's by grace through faith. Isaiah 59, 2 tells us that our sin separates us from God. Romans 6, 23 tells us that the results of our separation from God is death. The wages of sin is death. Thank goodness there are some buts in Scripture. The verse doesn't stop there, okay? But we are saved by grace, through faith. Isn't that amazing? 
Wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, we are saved by grace through faith. There is no boasting because grace is unearned, unmerited favor. Grace extends mercy to forgive us, and it is by God's grace that we now walk out the Christian life. It is His grace that gives us strength to be different, to be changed people. It's God's grace that does that. Um, it's a free gift. It is accessed through faith. Now, I want to talk about faith for a minute. Faith, we're even told, is a gift. I'm grateful for the, the bro in the Word of God who's, who's crying out to Jesus for help and to be healed. And he's asked if he believes, and he says, I believe. Help my unbelief. <laughs> he, he acknowledges that even he struggles sometimes having faith. Faith is a hard road to walk, but God will give us the gift of faith. And so I put my faith in the finished work of the cross, in the grace of God to be redeemed and belong to him forever. I don't earn it. I can't earn it. I don't deserve it. It's a free gift that's given to all who will receive. Really briefly, because I just feel like I've got to take a minute to do this while, while we're sitting here. Um, if there is anybody who does not know, I just, I wanna give you really simply a couple of simple steps on how we can be saved. Okay, the scripture makes it pretty simple and pretty clear, okay? Um, so first of all, we're just gonna, there's like four verses we're gonna do here real quick. So the first one is in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. The first thing that we do if we wanna be saved is we confess. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from every wrongdoing. So we confess, we acknowledge our sin, our separation from God. Secondly, we believe, Romans 10, 9. If you confess that Jesus is Lord, we've confessed. And if we believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen. Thank God. I confess, I believe, and then I accept it. I accept it. I choose to believe this truth, to walk it out. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. We referenced this a minute ago. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Accept the gift. Receive it. Open it. Don't, don't struggle later questioning, like, did it really happen? Maybe I've been blowing it and messing up and making some mistakes. And did that really happen? Accept the free gift that God has given. Confess, believe, accept. And then finally, invite. Invite. John chapter 1, verse 12. To all who received him, he gives the right to become children of God. Invite him in. Confess, believe, accept, and invite him in. And he comes in and he saves your life. And part of inviting is inviting him to now be Lord of your life. We're giving our life to him. It's an exchange. Here's my old broken life. Jesus, will you take that life? I give it to you freely. And he freely gives new life to us. And now we belong to him. So we confess, we believe, we accept, and we invite. Um, if, if there is any doubt in your heart that you are saved, I would love to walk you through accepting Jesus as your savior. Would love to do that. I'm gonna specifically make a point at the end of this for there to be an opportunity if anybody wants to do that. Um, that is the gospel. That's what we believe. Those are the, the five essential doctrines. All right, we're gonna con continue on. Y'all are doing great.
Y'all good? You with me? Okay. Now I want to talk a little bit about the sacraments, um, about communion and about baptism. Um, these notes are, are um, a condensed version of a, a message I actually preached right before Easter last year. We did a two or three week kind of preparation going into Easter and I taught on the sacraments. So this is a condensed version of that. You could listen to a more full sermon on that uh, in April of last year. Um, so here we go, communion. Communion is, is about three things. Number one, it's about remembering. Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 through 30. This is the night Jesus was betrayed. Um, he's with his disciples having what is now known as the Lord's Supper. They're having Passover together. And during that meal, this conversation takes place. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to the disciples. And he said, take and eat. This is my body. Verse 27, and he took a cup and we had given thanks. He gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus gave us this picture of the bread being a symbol of his broken body on the cross and the wine or we'll do juice. Usually we've got kids and stuff present, so we'll do juice representing wine. It's a picture of his blood that was shed for us. And so we take communion to remember. Jesus told us to remember him often and to partake of communion. The act of communion doesn't save you. It's a reminder of the work of the cross. It's a reminder of what Jesus has done. And so communion is about remembering. Number two, communion is about revealing, revealing. Um, there's this beautiful picture. It's one of my favorite stories in the scripture. It's after Jesus has risen from the grave and he's, he's walking on the road to Emmaus with two of the disciples and they don't realize it's him. They don't recognize him. And so he's walking on the road and he's ha having a discussion with them and he begins to unpack the scriptures to them and they're just kind of blown away at this conversation. They don't realize Jesus has risen from the grave yet. They're, not, they're wrestling with that. They're grappling with that reality. And at the end of the conversation, they sit down and this is what happens, Luke 24, verses 30 through 32. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. Does that sound like anything else that had just happened a few nights before? Verse 31, and their eyes were open and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened to us the scriptures? We take communion because Jesus is real and he's alive and he's present and he loves us. We take it because it's a fresh reminder he's here right now. If communion has just become some old, dry, dead religious ritual, we're missing it. Yes, we do it out of tradition to remember the work of the cross. It's also meant to reveal Jesus present with us now. He's the living savior and he loves us. And so it's a fresh moment and reminder that he's here. It's also meant to reveal our hearts. We're supposed to slow down when we take communion and do a little reflection. God, is there any unresolved sin in my life? Is there a broken relationship that I need to stop and go mend? And Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 26 through 28. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. That examination involves recognition, confession, and reconciliation. It's a, it's a reminder to stop and, and make things right with the Lord. God, here's what's going on. I'm sorry. I've, I've sinned. I've wandered off from you in this area. I haven't dealt with this thing. Will you forgive me? I'm even remembering right now as I partake of this communion that you have done this for me. You have forgiven me, and I receive and accept it. And so we look back and remember. He reveals himself to us in the moment, that living relationship that we have with him. It's a moment to be honest with ourselves, kind of reveal our own heart and what's going on and make things right. And then finally, it's about rejoicing. You know, often we take communion, it's this somber thing, and because we're doing the things I just said, looking back to the cross and reflecting, but it's about rejoicing. Matthew 26 again, verses, uh, in, in that context of 26 through 30, we're gonna read verses 29 and 30 now. This is right after they part, partake together, and he says in verse 29, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. They worshiped, they celebrated, and they looked ahead to their heavenly future. Jesus said, I won't do this with you again until we're in heaven together. And so we reflect back, we see him right now in this present moment, and we rejoice and celebrate for the future that awaits us in heaven with him. That's why we take communion. Got it? That's it. We do it regularly and often. We practice that here. We do it about once a month at least. Um, we want to consistently do it. And so we usually, on the, on the end of the month, the last Sunday of the month, our kids are in with us. And one of the things that we will do is take communion together. Um, it's come up before just our kids and do they take communion. And here's the deal. We don't have a rigid thing about that. All right. We let you be the judge if your kids are ready. In, in my house, we've, we've used it even as a teaching tool. I'm not keep withholding it from them until they've reached a certain age where they're, they're ready to say yes to Jesus. Every time we partake, even as they're little, I'm using it to instill in them the hope of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus. This represents the God who loves you and saves you, and this is his body. And So that's how we do it. If you want to hold off and wait till there's a moment in time where they have outwardly confessed that Jesus is their savior, great. Like, we're, we're, you're their parents. That's right. You can be their parents. It's okay. You decide. So, so we don't have any restrictions. We let you kind of decide when your kids are ready to partake. Um, and I'm happy to talk more in depth with you about making that decision as a parent, if you would like. Okay, let's move on to baptism. Water baptism. Um, I want to just briefly say this. Um, what it is and isn't. Um, why we do it and when we do it. All right, what it is and isn't, why we do it, when we do it. First of all, what it is. Water baptism is full immersion in water, and it signifies a decision to repent and follow Jesus. Water baptism is an outward picture of an internal change. What water baptism isn't, it isn't the thing that saves you. You should get water baptized. But if you confess Jesus as your Lord here this morning 
and your water baptism is scheduled two weeks from now and you're in an unfortunate car accident on the way home, you're going to heaven. It's not hinging on you getting in water. Okay, it is a picture of a commitment and a decision that's already been made. That's what it is. It's a reflection. Um, Jesus was water baptized. In Matthew's gospel, it's recorded where he comes to John the Baptist and, and he gets baptized. Let's read it quickly. I think we've got a minute. Uh, Matthew 3, verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. Do you come to me? But Jesus answered him and said, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. John dunked Jesus under the water and he came up and God declared and said, that's my boy. That's my son. I love him and I'm proud of him. Parents, that's a really good starting point for how you interact with your kids. Letting them know you love them, you're proud of them, you like them, they're accepted by you. That's the Father's declaration for Jesus and now it's his declaration over us. In Jesus, we're his kids. And so it, Paul talks about this in Romans 6 verse four of now what baptism's role is in our life. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. It is a picture of the death of Jesus going under the water, the resurrection of Jesus coming out, and it's now a picture of our life. We're dead to that old way of living. We're born again into a new life with Jesus. And so we are outwardly declaring what has happened in our hearts. That's what water baptism is. It, the act of water baptism does not save you. However, we should all get water baptized. Just because it's not the thing that saves us doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. The scripture tells us to do it, so it's an act of obedience. It's also a testimony. It's a public declaration of a commitment that you've made. So get water baptized, and we do that. We, we commit to that. And so um, there's a bunch of verses that are going to be in my notes you should check out. But part of the Great Commission was go and baptize people. Jesus said to do it. We see all through the book of Acts, new believers getting baptized. We also see some weird arguments about who baptized who. Like this person baptized this person. So it's kind of more like legit or meaningful because Paul did it or Peter did it or Apollos or whoever. And, and Paul kind of nipped that in the bud and said, that's a bunch of nonsense. This is about the gospel of Jesus Christ and are we committed to him? Um, and so it's about the cross and the power of the cross. Um, so I just, I know baptism can be a, a huge issue. What church you were baptized in, how they did baptism. Um, listen, both communion and water baptism, they weren't done in the context of this huge religious construct. They were in a relationship. Jesus is talking to his disciples and said, eat this bread, drink this wine, and remember my sacrifice. Jesus said, I'm getting water baptized because it signifies the work that I came to do. You should get water baptized because it declares to everybody that you believe in me. That's it. That's it. So you committed to Jesus in your heart, in your life. You should get baptized. So when do we do it? When do we do it?
man, we do it whenever, however you're ready. Um, there's some folks I met this morning, and one of the reasons they're here is because they saw us doing baptisms at the river at the Cove. How cool is that? I love that. We do it whenever, wherever. If you're ready and you want to be baptized, let's do it. Let's do it. I'll have a conversation with you and just clarify that you understand the basics of the gospel and you've committed your life to Jesus. You can be baptized. Um, I'm happy to do it. I, I lo- I'm all about parents baptizing their kids. If, if your kids want to get baptized and they're ready and they've committed their life to Jesus and you would like to do that, we're all about that. It doesn't have to be the official guy that does it and makes it official. You can baptize your kids. That'd be really cool. Um, you can baptize your friends. I've gotten to do that. That's super fun. So um, baptism, what we don't do, we, we do not baptize babies. We, we, don't, we don't do that. I don't have a big problem with christening. Um, I, don't, I think the heart behind it's great. Um, I just don't see it in scripture. What I see in scripture is, is people who are old enough to make a conscious decision to give their life to Jesus being fully immersed in water. What I do see in scripture is that God loves kids. I see parents bringing their kids to Jesus to have him bless them and pray for them. So we do kind of our version of christening where we will dedicate our kids to Jesus. And so that's something else we would do on a sacrament Sunday. Um, It's not a thing that we require, but we love doing it. I remember getting to do that with with Thomas and Bethany, like, what was it, a year and a half ago now probably. one of our first summer here in the school. Um, we love doing that. And we've got a lot of new, uh, new babies in our church. If any parents want their kids dedicated, we would love to do that. And we'll come up here and we'll celebrate our kids. We'll pray the blessing of Jesus over their life and that they'll know him and walk with him. A lot of what I believe a baby dedication is, is it's, it's blessing the parents as they lead their kids into how to walk with Jesus. And so we, we pray for that. And as a church, we commit to supporting and modeling in front of their children and supporting those parents and raising their kids to know Jesus and walk with him. And so we do baby dedications. Um, so there's, there's all of that. Um, I believe the condition of our small children's souls is perfectly fine. I believe that they will be held accountable when they reach an age where they're consciously aware to make a decision. And, and I believe they're covered and they're good until then, okay? I believe that with all my heart. Okay, um, last thing. I, I debated doing this as the opening thing or is it the final thing or whatever. It's all essential. I wanna just briefly say what I believe about the Bible, what we believe about the Bible. Um, we believe the Bible is God's word. It was written by human authors, but it was inspired by supernatural guidance. Um, It is the supreme source of our Christian beliefs and how we live our life. Because it's been inspired by God, there's no error. Now that can can hang people up a little bit. And so I I wanna just briefly address that if I can. Um, Obviously, human beings have taken care of this book that we're holding for thousands of years. The Old Testament scriptures, the New Testament scriptures, they've been translated into different languages. And so I just, I wanna say this, number one, I mean, far and away beyond any other document, historical book that we have, there is more ancient manuscripts of the Bible than anything. And every time we dig up more of them, guess what? They agree with this. It has been, 
cared for and treasured faithfully for thousands of years by scholarly people who love God and consider it a big deal to treasure this book. I also believe in the whole counsel of Scripture. So I think there's a lot of safety in not basing opinions and ideas on one verse, on one phrase. What does the whole Scripture teach and say? This thing is united. One of the main reasons I believe in this isn't just the archaeological evidence. I believe it because you can't get 40 people to agree on anything. (laughs) Over 40 different authors over like 1,500 to 2,000 years wrote this thing. And it is, it is a unity of thought and idea of who God is and what he's doing in this world. There are people that never met each other that say things that it sounds like they sat down at a coffee shop and arranged it together. Like it's unbelievable. Um, I believe this to be the inspired word of God. Um, people will sometimes use the word literal. Do I take the Bible literally? Um, I partially want to say yes to that, but I think the word literal gets misconstrued, okay? Um, every phrase in the Bible wasn't meant to be taken literally. When Jesus says, for example, that it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than a rich man to get to heaven, well, I've got all kinds of questions about that. Number one, is he talking about a sewing needle? Because then what he's saying is it's impossible for a rich man to get into heaven because a camel cannot fit through a sewing needle. Well, was some scholars believe that he was actually talking about this certain entry point into, into a city, this small little passageway, and camels had a really hard time getting in there and had to kind of crouch down and take all the stuff off their back and, and squeeze them through. It was this really difficult process. Here's the point. He was giving them an analogy to explain that it might be challenging for people who have a lot to acknowledge that they're actually really needy, that we need Jesus. Okay, so what I would say is I take the Bible seriously. I take it seriously. I believe it for what it says. Where the Bible is using word pictures, I believe they're word pictures, not some weird literal thing like Jesus actually wanted me to eat his flesh and drink his blood. He says within the same passage that he's referencing something that is spiritual. Okay, so I take the Bible seriously. I take it seriously and truthfully. Um, for what it is. And so I pay attention to grammar and intent and, and what the authors meant. I hope that answers any questions in that regard. I'd, I'd be happy to talk more. So us as a church, we take the Bible as our sole authority. I love the, this translation of 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15. The whole Bible was given to us by inspiration from God, and it is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives It straightens us out and helps us do what is right. This will be the authority on the decisions we make at this church, God's word. Not my opinion, not the the wisdom of our elders that supersedes God's word. God's word's the standard. It's what we're gonna trust and follow and believe. Um, It's not a cold dead book. It's a living book that speaks of a living God that wants to have a real relationship with us. And this book, teaches us how to know him and walk with him, how to receive the gospel into our lives, and then how to walk out this life with Jesus, to love him and love others well. That's what I believe. All right? Y'all did great. That was a lot of information. Thank you guys for hanging in there. So next week, we will talk about our structure, who we are, what we prioritize around here. 
Again, the notes are online. If you would like to have a baby dedicated sometime soon, we would love to do that. Come talk to us about it. We'll make a plan. Um, uh, two quick things, and then I'll close. Um, number one, and we're going to talk about this a lot next week, actually, but we believe really strongly in the importance of being in relationship with one another. And so we have life groups here. We don't have a lot of extra things that we do. We're not trying to take up your calendar all the time. There's some core things that we do and emphasize together. We'll talk about the heart of that next week. But I just want you to know, coming off the holidays, our life groups are starting back up this week. And so if you're already in one, they're firing back up this week. Um, if you'd like to plug into one, this week or this month is a really good time to get, get plugged back in. You're not behind. Each week stands alone. Um, obviously, relationships grow and build on each other, but each week stands alone. You're not behind. You didn't miss out on some curriculum or something. Um, go plug into our, a life group, and we can help you do that if you want to do that this morning. Okay, if you would like to meet Jesus, or if you would like to ask some questions, I'm going to pray and close, and then I'll give you the opportunity to come on up and, and hang out with me a little bit. All right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you that you love us, that you are a good and faithful God. Jesus, we thank you for the life and the salvation that we have in you. We thank you for who you are, what you have done, what you do in our lives right now, and for the future that you've arranged for for us to be with you eternally. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you come into our lives and you lead and guide us. You pour your grace into our lives. You give us strength to grow and to walk with you and to love others well. And uh, God, we just thank you for this time we've had together this morning. I pray that you would solidify these things in our heart. God, that we would know that we belong to you and to your family and that we would find a place to plug in. Um, God, I thank you for the growing body here, the growing family here. That's great. God, I thank you for the city of Knoxville and the surrounding areas and your church, your family in this area. And, and beyond. God, we pray for our state. We pray for our country in the condition of this world that we are in. God, it's a desperate time, but Lord, they're always desperate times because um, this world needs you. And so God, I pray that the truth of your gospel and the love of God would be made known widely and available to everyone who's in need. And God, if there's anyone in this room who has not accepted you and accepted the gospel, the good news of life in you, God, I pray they would do that today, this morning, before they leave this place. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.